Generation Church, based in the beautiful Rex Theater in the heart of downtown Pensacola, Florida. Our hope is that today's teaching will encourage and equip you to be firm in faith, to fulfill the call of God in your life, and to finish well. Grab your Bible, open up your notes app, and let's dive in. Father, I, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that your word truly brings life. Lord, that your word abolishes confusion, that your word brings peace, there's hope, and um, we just thank you so much. I ask, Lord, that the rest of this service, you would just guide my heart. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would um, just help me, and we thank you for it, for it's in your name. We pray. I am this morning speaking from Ephesians chapter 4. I get to preach on 16 verses that are really, really packed. So I'll try to speak quick. Um, but there's just so much in Ephesus, um, in Ephesians. I say Ephesus because when uh, I took my family, Teresa and I took our family to Romania in 1994. We spent 10 years there. And maybe about three or four years into the journey, we uh, we took the, we decided to go on a little trip, and we got on an airplane, and we flew to Istanbul, and then from Istanbul, we took a bus, an all-nighter bus, down uh, to the coast, and we stayed at this uh, city called Kusadasi, which is only about maybe 20 minutes from Ephesus. So we got to tour Ephesus, and the ruins of uh, of Ephesus are are amazing. You know, I was thinking this morning at all the ruins that I had walked through, and you know, you have this thought like, "Wow, it was such an it was an amazing city," and now it's gone. But think about it: we got the Book of Ephesians from Ephesus. Ephesus was a was a, 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 a was a city on the coast. Uh, it, later in years, what ended up happening is the water receded and it kind of turned into marsh. It was attacked and destroyed many times, but one of the ancient seven wonders of the world is actually, the ancient, are actually in Ephesus. It's the, um, the temple of Artemis. Uh, it would be equivalent to, to the Romans like the goddess or the temple of Diana. And so they were, they were, it was just a city with a lot of activity going through, and Paul made a huge impact in the city. Um, it was this thriving city, and Paul's preaching, people are getting saved, they're, they even had a book burning, it tells us in Acts 19, you can read all about this journey in Ephesus, in Acts 19, you know, they're burning books, and because the whole thing is about this goddess, and the gods the, of Artemis, and, and uh, you know, back in those days, there wasn't one god, there were many gods, right? And so, it was just, it, but, but people are getting saved, and the people that were affiliated with this like the, um, the men that would make, uh, the silversmiths that would make, you know, trinkets and sell them, and the people that were printing the books or writing, writing the books, right? They were losing money because people were getting saved. So they got so mad that they got a bunch of other people together and they drug Paul into the gigantic theater, which I stood there imagining Paul standing there, have thousands of people rioting. They're so mad at him because of this God, this relationship, right, that you can have with Jesus Christ. And so uh, they 
they you know have this big riot and it get you know someone comes up and speaks you know in the law and says you know they can take it to court but let's let's leave this alone it'll die down don't you know that for all these years they say it'll die down <laughs> um, so but there's but we get these wonderful stories in Ephesus it was just um, an amazing place they say. You know, John was uh, died in ex- in uh, Ephesus after after Patmos, after he was exiled on Patmos. And remember, Jesus told Mary, "Would you uh, told uh, John, would you on the cross, would you take care of my mom?" And so, in Ephesus is actually you know supposedly the house where Mary lived. So there's a lot of beautiful culture. There's a lot of fun stuff about Ephesus. The the ruins are are truly amazing. So I was just thinking about that this morning and. Um, I want to uh, go into this very powerful part of Ephesians 4, the first three chapters that we've dealt with to this point has dealt with the doctrine or our riches in Christ. All these sermons up to this point has been about our wealth. Let me remind you of a few things that we've talked about. Paul informs us that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Isn't that amazing? He says that there is redemption and forgiveness. We get wisdom. We have an inheritance, and we've been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of that inheritance. Um, He's called us to hope. We've studied. We've uh, learned that God is rich in mercy and love. We've been saved by grace through faith. Ephesians, right? Uh, 2, chapter 2, we've been saved by grace through faith. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. It's by grace. We've been brought near and we've given access through Christ. We're partakers of the promise in Him. We've talked about that we, have, that we can have confidence and boldness and we're strengthened with power in our inner being. Rooted and grounded in love and filled with the fullness of God which dwells in us. And then lastly here, He's able to do more than we could ask or think. I mean, those are just little dinky highlights that can't even begin to talk about the first three chapters that we've studied. Sign me up, right? Sign me up. I'll take that all day long. The last three chapters explain our duty and responsibilities. So it talks about our walk. And don't you love it that God gives us clarity? I think so many people think that you just... I know that there's a lot of questions, and I know that there's a lot of differences, which I'll, I'll talk about in, in moments, but there's so much clarity that God gives us in His Word. And so I think those are the things that we really need to hold on to as I look into these next 16 verses. And uh, just love that God gives us clarity through Paul to the church of Ephesus. Verse 1 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a a manner worthy of the calling for which you've been called. I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling for which you've been called. If you don't remember anything else, if you walked away from this service today and you said, I want to walk in in a manner worthy of a calling that God's giving me, and I know that I have a calling, then I succeeded. That is such an important verse. And here in this, Paul's writing 
to Christians in general, right? So he's really talking about our calling in this. You and I have a calling to which we've been called, and when I say that, it's so easy all these years to get a blank stare because so many people, they don't normally think that they have a specific calling in their life. Um, You know, pastors, they have callings. Missionaries might have a calling. The worship leader certainly has a calling, right? But but, uh, this Bible verse says that every single Christian, every believer has a calling to which they have been called. And the goal of the enemy, I would think, would be pretty high if you have a calling to negate that. For you to think that truly you don't have a calling, or maybe, how about this, minimize your calling. Eh, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, look at this person, look at this, or look at this, and they minimize that. If I was, you know, the devil, I would think that that would be a real attack, that I would want you to think that you didn't, you're just kind of existing, right? Um, but that's not the way it is. The Bible tells us the exact opposite and that you will have a calling. And let me make it real easy here. Let me make a kind of a blanket statement that will help you through all the other little points that I give along the way. That calling as a Christian is to reflect the character and the heart of Jesus. When we go through this life, and all these things come to us, we have to ask the question, am I reflecting in this situation the character and the heart of God? Am I going to respond to this in bitterness? Or and I'm going to get on, on some of these points. I don't want to go too far with this thought, but that's our job. It's to reflect the character and the heart of Jesus. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And it's not something, this is good news, it's not something that you can do on your own strength. You can't do it. You'll fail every time. That's why we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we can't do it on our own. And, and uh, if you, you know, uh, yeah, you just can't do it on your own. And then uh, notice, it says here, uh, worthy. I want to go on worthy a little bit. It says to walk worthy of the calling. The Greek uh, for worthy means of equal weight. It's like the balancing of scales. So Paul's saying, let your life be of equal weight to your calling. Your life, your calling. And, and the weight, you might look at it as the pressure and the responsibilities we feel when we're living out the calling. This is my calling, and this is the weight of the world. And you want it to be of, of, of your calling to be able to address those, those, uh, those pressures and those responsibilities. It's how your daily conduct corresponds to your position. How your daily conduct supports the position that God's called you to. Um, and it might mean that you need to cut some things out. It might mean you need to add some things in, and if your scale's out of whack, we need, you need to look at that and go, no, 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 no. I want my life to reflect, I want, I want it to support that, that calling. 
And then we also know that they're suffering with every calling. I don't think that we're any, any different. And uh, from, the, from our forefathers that have paid a dear price, those that are paying a price right now in prison, you know, that there's, uh, they're suffering. You know, uh, many of the apostles said they were worthy to suffer. And so we have to take this idea that suffering is part of the plan. But it's how we react in that suffering. Is it of equal weight to your calling? Uh, Verse 2 says, With all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, and eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So he says four things. Humility, gentleness, patience, and eagerness to maintain unity. And again, these are things about our walk uh, to which we have been called. So let's look at humility. Now, you could do a, as I go through this list and a couple lists to come, you know, you could do a series on one word, but I'm just hitting a few maybe thoughtful thoughts on, on each word, but he talks about humility. Humility is not being down on yourself. It's not minimizing your worth, and it's not minimizing your calling. The Greek Uh, root word actually means to rein in or curb. Biblical humility says rein it in. Rein it in. The The world tells us focus on who you are, on your achievements. It's all about you. It's inflating yourself. It's what naturally flows from human beings. Humility says that I need to see myself as God sees me. You know, when God shows you who you are, it's humbling. When people show you who you are, um, it can be very discouraging. That's why you need to listen to the Holy Spirit. Everyone's going to have an opinion about you, but God, when God corrects you, He does it, right? He does it with, with love, and it's, not, it's not, uh, not discouraging at all. So we need to listen to the Holy Spirit, not necessarily other people, though people can speak into your life. Again, it's a, you have to, to, to weigh that out. Peter, he thought more of himself than was actually true. He said, I'm going to go, I'm willing to go to my death tonight with you, Jesus. And then what happened, right? The, the, the uh, cock crowed three times. So um, the, the rooster crowed. See, Paul saw himself in an inflated, stronger follower than he actually was. And you know what? Jesus allowed him to go through it so he would see the real Peter. <laughs> Jesus said, in fact, he said, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, and I'm going to let him try. I'm going to let him try. Um, why? Because you desperately need to see who you are. You desperately need to not walk around with pride and, you, and not acknowledge your humanity, but that you can die for me, right? Uh, humility would guide uh, him the rest of his life, and he would be a pillar of the church. I believe that that had a big part of it. I believe that he was very much humbled. So brokenness and humility, it also allows us to see other people differently. So when you're broken and humble, you're allowed to have grace on other people because you see your own humanity. So it, it, it works in both ways. Let's look at gentleness. Um, some translations say meekness. 
And it's how we respond to people when we feel attacked. It's the ability to suffer injury without becoming angry or resorting to revenge. Our natural inclination when we're hurt by others is to become bitter, angry, or resentful. I say from time to time, I don't know where I was at what church service. I don't, can't remember how old I was, but I heard a pastor talk about the effects of bitterness in someone's life. And I swore on that day, I'll never, I do not. Like, Roger, with everything in you, avoid bitterness in your life. With everything in you, because bitterness and anger and resentment is the most destructive thing in a person's life. And uh, Jesus said about himself, he goes, I am gentle and humble in heart. This is Jesus. It's power that is controlled and it doesn't retaliate. That's gentleness. Let's look at patience. Uh, And we can hear a collective moan on this one. You're all allowed to. And I will moan too. Patience. Uh, The King James or some of the other translations say long-suffering. And it's how we respond to the failures and the mistakes and the irritations of others. It literally means to endure with your temper intact. Proverbs 16.32 really speaks to me because it says, Better a patient person than a warrior, one self-controlled than one who takes a city. That really speaks to me because, I don't know, in my brain, you know, knowing that we are always fighting spiritual battles, understanding the armor of God, and, you know, just even loving, you know, like military and, and the, um, the offensive and weapons and you know, it, it speaks to me because my brain always goes to that. But here it says, better a patient person than a warrior. One with self-control than one who takes a city. There, I believe that probably wisdom comes with that. Maybe in, you know, in that comes uh, just, yeah, just the ability to, to hear and do the right thing. Galatians 5 says that it's a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, 1 Corinthians said that Love is patient. Love is patient. And Ecclesiastes 7, we actually use this in growth track, be firm in your faith, fulfill the call of God in your life and finish well. It says, the end of something is better than its beginning. That's why you want to finish well. Patience is better than arrogance. So we need to be patient in our lives. I believe it's a a huge trait to have. um, Well, he's naming four, and so... I would think it's pretty important. And then it says eagerness to maintain unity. Uh, We may look different, right? Not go to the same church often and sing the same songs, but we've been brought together by the Spirit. We've been united and joined as one. That's what Paul's saying. Eager, be eager to maintain that unity. There's an undeniable unity through the Spirit. Um... I don't know if you've ever been to a large gathering. I know at different times in my life I've been to different gatherings and there might be 20,000 believers or you know, maybe it's on a hillside and you're listening to a band worshiping the Lord and there's believers around you. There's just this unity. 
and then understand that the church at large and, and uh, you know, sometimes I just think, Lord, you know, in my mind, put myself in prison with someone right now that's lonely and sad and they're not able to be in this service or be encouraged in any way and even hear the word and maybe just wish they had one piece, one page from the word. And, and uh, so there's this, there's, we're, we're, to, we're to make a point to be eager to maintain the unity through the Spirit, we're one. And notice, it says, in the bond of peace, not position. Oh, the positions will vary. Even sometimes I'll be firm on a position, and then years later, maybe not be so firm on a position. So you got all, you got the, the church of, you know, the body of Christ at different places at different times, and it's easy to often not walk in unity because I think this and I think that, but uh, I'll speak more to that in a little while because it's, it's kind of like this body of Scripture goes towards it. But uh, it is beautiful when God's people walk in unity, different countries, denominations, backgrounds, affiliations, cultures, there's different levels of education and a lot of weird beliefs thrown in. <laughs> Sometimes you just chuckle, yet we're all joined in the Spirit. We're joined in the Spirit. And you know what Paul says? Protect it. He says protect that unity. A lost and a dying world doesn't understand all the differences, but they'll see the unity and the humility. They're not going to understand everything because, it's, again, it's a, it's a learning process. Verse 4 says, There is one body one, in one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. <laughs> wow, uh, that's a lot. And um, again, so this talks about what unifies believers. So again, this is what we're learning. We, we saw all the benefits, right? We, saw all, we started out the first three chapters, we got all these benefits. And, but Paul's expounding. Now, now he's kind of getting to some dues. Um, and so these are seven truths that unify. One body. Um, regardless of our differences, we're one body. I've stated it already. Different nationalities, cultures, language, uh, different political views, perhaps even throw that in, right? Whatever divides people, when Jesus returns, man-made distinctions will cease to exist. So... There's, he says, one body. So I, I, again, you could go on that forever. There's one, there's only one spirit. And what Paul's referring to is the Holy Spirit. There's only one spirit, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what compels us to live in unity. When we fail, it's because we're walking according to the flesh, not the spirit. So... Let's be more sensitive to walking in the Spirit. Romans 8 says, For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind of the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. 
in disagreements. There's even one truth. John 14, uh, 17, Jesus tells us, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be uh, with you forever. It goes on a little bit in verse 17. It says, the spirit of truth. So that's the spirit that lives in us, the spirit of truth. And you know, again, uh, in our lives, we've all encountered maybe something was mistaught. Maybe, uh, you know, you read the wrong book from an author. And, um, but nevertheless, what we do, we stick with the word of God and we, we grow. There's various reasons for non-truth, but you don't, you don't take it and you don't throw it away. When I stand up, honestly, when I stand up on this stage, my biggest, you know, I'm always thinking like, Lord, I really want to speak truth and I know I don't know it all and I know that I'm growing myself, so help me take this scripture and let me bring truth to it and whatever is not, you know, maybe more of Roger than the Holy Spirit, Lord, can you just take it and use it, maybe help them spit it out? Like, I don't know. Like, we want to speak truth. We want to live by truth, and that needs to be our passion to, um, to live that way. Uh, there's, it says here, going on, there's only one Lord. So we talked about there's only one hope. Um, well, no. So there's only one hope. Um, I'm gonna, I, I, I missed that one, so let me go back up here. Uh, so it's interesting how a lot of Christians, they have their uh, hope, which isn't a bad thing, but it's really earthly-based. It might be restoration. You know, I talked about restoration early, earlier. Maybe it's restoration of your marriage. Well, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. It could be a relationship, right? Uh, a career, a pro, you know, maybe prosperity, Maybe your health, again, not all bad things. But if that's your ultimate hope, in other words, if that's where you put a lot of your hope, then there's a big problem because you're really being more earthly-minded. This is what Paul's saying. Your hope needs to be on the real hope. When, when your hope is on the real spiritual hope, then the things of this life grow strangely dim. Remember that one, Greg? And the things of life will grow strangely dim in the light of his mercy and grace, right? So, like, that's our hope. And we're so this world-minded that we don't walk in the freedom that's been given to us because that's our hope. Really, you're saved, but you're not so much saved until the end time when you're saved and you're not in hell. Like, your hope's coming. You're not stuck. Like, you have hope, and that's what we need to glory in. 1 Corinthians 15, if only for the, this, is, this, this, this verse, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Because our brains are just... It's hard. It's very hard to live in this world. Think about the future, to think about retirement, think about building your wealth. We spend so much time, and that's where balance comes in because all those things are good. We want to be diligent. We want to think about finances. We want to think about things. But we also want to be kingdom-minded. 
You know, the Bible says where your treasure is, your heart is. And you can look at someone's checkbook and find a lot of where their treasure is, right? Me included. Like, you, you, like we, we are conditioned for this world. And, we, and I understand that, that, but that's not our hope. And that changes you. Titus, another example, says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing, the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the hope. So if you get stressed tomorrow, that's your hope. That's you. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Is that it, Greg? Um, when Jesus comes back, he is going to be bringing every promise that he ever made and declared. There might be things, seriously, that you're praying for that you might not see in this life. But, but there's a day when God brings to fruition your prayers and the cries of your heart, right? There's only one Lord. Only Jesus is the basis of our unity. We can never have unity with those who embrace true unity. I'm talking about spiritual unity with those who embrace a different Jesus. You can still love them. Maybe it's a family member. Uh, continue to love on them with truth. But <laughs> unity we're talking about is there's only one Lord. Paul wrote, uh, for although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is only one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. There's only one Lord. There's only one faith. I love that scripture in Ephesians 2 we covered already for it's been grace by for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, right? That not of your works, you know, not by your own righteousness lest any man should boast, right? You do realize that if anyone ever asks you, that's the one word that separates Christianity, a relationship with the Lord Jesus is that one word grace that we've been given grace, right? And because everything else is works. If you look at every single religion of the world, there is some element of works in that religion that's going to get you to nirvana or to your God or your world or whatever. It's always going to be works. It's a free gift, but a deep price was paid for that gift, for that. Uh, for that. Um, Jude 1 says, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Um, the misled would say that there's all kinds of truths. Um, there's all different kinds of ways to reach God. You know, if we take every religion, there's kind of a beautiful piece of each one. You kind of put it all together, and it's just the right way to God. You know, we can pull from here and pull from here. And I'm not even saying a lot of those principles are bad or good, but um, there's, there's a, it's not a, a combination. Um, if you put your faith in something else, then your faith in Jesus Christ, then it's full of holes. Paul is saying here very clearly, listen guys, there's one faith. There's one, and this is it. He says that there's only one baptism in the gospel 
we see John's baptism. It says, actually, you know, in Acts it talks about it. It talks about the baptism of repentance. And uh, if you remember in Acts 19, they, Paul, <laughs> Paul is in Ephesus. And, and he goes into that whole thing of, what, did you hear about, you know, did you hear about the baptism? And they're like, well, you mean John's baptism? And, and Paul's like, no, 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 that's the baptism of repentance. Right. Then there's the Christian baptism. The disciples go into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right, And then there's the baptism of the Spirit, which again you find in the book of Acts, where you receive power. And the way I like to look at it, if you look at all of that, it's being immersed in Jesus. It's being enveloped in Him, into Jesus. 1 Corinthians 12 says, For we were all baptized... By one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given uh, the one spirit to drink. There's one spirit, That's one, or one baptism. And then here we have one God and Father of all. So there's one God, it says in Isaiah. Uh, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. He is the Father of all. Again, speaking of the church, of the, his chosen generation, right? The universal church. First Peter says, but you... You are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Um, you know, when I, when I make this statement, people are like, okay, but God is not everybody's father. He loves his creation. But the Bible doesn't tell us that. We're not all God's children. It's from, uh, well, I'll even read you the scripture in John. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right. It's a right to become the children of God. Oh no, we're all God's children. You know, hey, guys, I would love it if universalism is true, that in the end, love wins. It's not, that's not what the Bible says. Universalism is, in the end, every, every this is not, it's not what the Bible teaches, okay? Hey, if it's, you know, I get to heaven and I'm wrong, then it's, it's a different story. But our God, our, our God doesn't say that. The Word doesn't say that. Children born not out of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. It's only those that have put their faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible's very clear. That's too hard. Sorry. You know, I'm just doing my best to exegete the text. Verse 6 says, who is over all and through all and in all. There's three things. Over, over all is really he's over all our lives in sovereignty. Doesn't, isn't sovereignty an amazing thing? 
I love sovereignty because when things are happening in my life, you know, I always ask myself questions. Is it because of me? Did I do something wrong? Am I being chastised maybe for something, which is good again. If God loves you, he chastises those who love, the Bible says. But, but when, when life throws me something that I didn't have anything to do with, we have a sovereign God. And there's beauty in that sovereignty. It says that he's over all of us. So I look at that in sovereignty through all. In other words, he's working through all believers. Remember, what do I want you to walk away with? That you've been called with a call. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. And then he's in all. He's in all believers. Through what? Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Can't do it on your own. If you tried to do all this on your own, you would fail. You can't do it. Uh, So thus far, to this point that I've been uh, talking about to these first six verses, it's been about unity. And now Paul's moving on to the diversity in the giftings. He says in verse 7, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. We've all been given a different measure. Like a, like a, you're baking something and there's different amounts for different things. If you put too much of one thing, then it's going to taste terrible. Two weeks ago, I went on a seven-day water fast. Well, day seven of my water fast, I was like, I am so hungry. And so Teresa was gone. She was traveling up north somewhere. And um, so I was like, I'm going to make myself a soup. <laughs> and so, but I'm so hungry, I can't get this wrong. Because I'm known, Teresa was joking about it last night, I'm known for cleaning out the refrigerator and not wanting to throw it away. So I throw it all in the crock pot and it's usually gray by the time I'm done with it. It looks terrible. It tastes terrible. It's gray. I got potatoes in there. Like, I don't want to throw the food away. But I was so hungry after the seven-day water fest. I'm like, okay, I can't get this wrong. Teresa's gone. She's the cook of the family. So I read, start reading some recipes and I wanted lentil soup. Oh, gosh. And so I... I YouTubed and I made my ingredient list. I even got a name for it now, Roger's Lentil Soup 19, because they have 19 <laughs> ingredients in it. Duamne <laughs> Fereste. Oh, sorry, that's Romanian for whatever. Um, but uh, so I made, I made it all up. And, I mean, it was so good because I used the right ingredients. And, you know, it's not like the salt's going, oh, crap. I mean, it's like I just got a sprinkle. You know, <laughs> like, what's the deal with that, you know? No, I mean, that's what the body of, the, of Christ is. The body is all the ingredients working together and we don't look at someone else and guess, man, I was an evangelist like that. I'll talk about evangelism in a second, but you know, it's like, like we've all been given gifts. If, if, when, when I look at the body of Christ, I'm amazed. I'm even amazed at the natural giftings, which I'll talk about in a second too, but just even the natural gifts and the, the occupations that are represented even in this room, the different knowledge bases that is so beautiful, you know, I talk to different people about things, I mean, we got Blake right there, you know, like, he's really good in, like, like health and wellness, and, and has a lot to say on that, and man, that's really interesting, I'm learning, and I'm growing, that's what the body of Christ is like, that's a healthy church, and Paul says, listen, I want you to protect that unity, you know, don't get down on the salt, 
you know, and the salt shouldn't be jealous. Um, so, Jesus has chosen to divide power and ability as he sees fit. He does not give giftings equally. Jesus told a parable about different service being given uh, different amounts of money, of gifts, and each brought back a greater or lesser harvest. You know, today parents, there's a birthday party, and they give their kids something, and then in their mind, it's like, well, I'm going to have to give my other two kids something of equal value. That's baloney, but whatever. You can do what you want. But like, no, that God doesn't do that. Well, I gave out this gift here, and I, I, you know, I've got to give everybody that gift because they'll be jealous. No, you are thankful, and you support that gift, and you try to bring it more out of that gift. And how about this? I think these, there's even different gifts for different seasons of your life, right? I mean, honestly, I've only been a lead pastor for 10 years. My whole life was never even being on stage and preaching, it was music. I was a worship leader in Romania, in America, different churches or whatever. That's what I did. And so, but God calls you into different seasons in your life. And so you have to ask the question, what's God telling me now? Like what, what season is this for me in my life? I know it was that, but God forbid we get stuck and not just stuck, but fearful right? Fearful. Like, I can't do that. Well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me when he's called you. He can do that. Um, so here are perhaps maybe a few questions that people have on gifts. I've got four of them. Number one, what's the difference between natural gifts and spiritual gifts? Natural gifts are like, you know, give a kid a musical instrument some kids struggle, some kids don't. It's just, they got it in their bones. You know, you play the music, and as a baby, they're, they're dancing. One man might scratch his head, you know, there's a broken lawnmower, and the other can easily diagnose it. My father-in-law was like that. He could fix anything. He could take a 400-horsepower Yamaha outboard engine, which takes computers to fix, and in his 70s, they would, people would bring him that just because it made sense to him. It always did. Uh, algebra, you know, like I use that as an example. It comes naturally to some, and I personally, I'm like, why are they mixing the alphabet with numbers? This should not be. And I stand firm on that. Uh, I don't care about X. I don't care about Y. Why are they doing it? That's the only why I care about. Um, but that's a, it's a real thing. It did not come easily to me. But it's interesting in high school. So I flunked algebra. And so I had to make up a math. And they put me in geometry. And I loved it. I loved it because it made sense to me. And you got a few letters in there too, which, you know, I, I uh, tried to get rid of them. But uh, anyway, the point, the point is, is, you know, I, I honestly don't know what my point was at that. But there's different natural gifts that we all have. So we're asking the difference what's between natural gifts and spiritual gifts. Sports. Look at sports. Some people, 
And they're so gifted. And, you know, uh, yeah, I could go into that. And then some people, they got to work really hard for it. They can be good, but it's just not natural. Spiritual gift, gifts, on the other hand, these are, these are abilities that are empowered by the Holy Spirit. You're not born with them. They're given by the Holy Spirit to do what you could not do. It's a gift. Natural gifts and spiritual gifts often can be used together to serve the Lord. Uh, a good example of that is maybe someone has a musical gift. Maybe they're a good writer. They play an instrument, and then they combine that gift with evangelism. And I remember when I was in fourth grade or fifth grade, fifth grade, um, my dad got me some piece of junk guitar from Sears, and I played it. That's all I had, and I just played it. And so my teacher asked me to come to the class one day and play the guitar for the kids, uh, to my, my classmates. And the, this was a private school. The class was just horrible. I mean, it was noisy, and the teacher could never be in control of the class. And I remember, uh, I walk up there, and I'm holding my guitar. I strum one chord. I think I knew three. I strum one chord, and you could have heard a pin drop. And I thought, at, in the fifth grade, I thought, wow, what a powerful tool. I, the, the teacher literally, the kids were maniacs, maybe including me. And all of a sudden, I had complete, there's power in your gifting. And then you can take that gifting and you can marry it with maybe evangelism. There's so many natural gifts, too, that God gives you. Marry it with the, with the spiritual. God gave you that for a reason. Maybe it's helping someone else or instructing someone else. You know, there's, there's so much to that. Uh, number, another question is, is, how can I discover my spiritual gifts? Wouldn't that be a great question? Keep growing in Christ. Number one, grow in his word. The more you know the word, the more you'll understand, even desire the gifts. You relate more to God, you, God using you in your gift. You're more God conscious because you're in the word. Number two, ask, uh, ask the Lord in, in this point. Ask the Lord what your spiritual gifts are. Some people don't pray because they're afraid if they ask, they won't, God won't tell them. Well, ask and continue to ask. Um, they feel, again, like they've been left out somehow of the process. And here's another thing on that point. Um, in the meantime, serve or be involved. Uh, you'll certainly find out what you're not good at, what you hate, or... Or how about this, have a lot more thankfulness for the people where it is their gift, right? And that's the body of Christ working together. Now you can be like, man, you do such a great job. That is so not my calling, but thank you for using your gifting and your calling, right? So it's about, it's about being busy. It's about being busy uh, in, in what God calls you to do. Another thing is, is to note your passions and your burdens. Maybe you're always encouraging people and you have the gift of encouragement, at certain points in my life, I think I had that gift. <laughs> I'm not so if I'm a great encourager anymore. I try to be. Actually, I think I am. My wife always gets on me. She says, why do you spend so much time with people? You just talk. You just, you just enjoy. I, I would rather have a conversation with one person than do this because I'd like to get to know people, right? Encourage people. 
Um, maybe it's helping people and you have, you have a gift of compassion. Or maybe you like praying for people and you have an intercessory gift. Like, see what I mean? You can sometimes find out by what flows naturally from you. Um, and then the last thing here is be patient in God's timing. Um, stay busy and wait for an open door in God's timing. Verse 8 says, therefore it says, and now what Paul's doing is he's quoting the Old Testament. Paul's writing to the Ephesians. He knows the word. He's quoting Psalm 68, which is actually called a victory psalm. He says, when he ascended on high, he led the host of captives and he gave gifts to men. See? He led the host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Paul's relating Jesus as the victor. He's the victor who gives gifts. In verse 9, in saying that he ascended, what does it mean but that he also had descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fulfill all things. So he ascended is talking about the incarnation. It's talking about God coming down to be a man, and then Paul's referring, uh, uh, he infers that if Jesus ascended, then he had to come to earth first. Uh, the lower regions, some translators uh, understand these lower regions as a reference to hell. In fact, even the Apostles' Creed uh, speaks of Jesus descending into hell, partly on this passage. Um, but I don't think the text really requires that interpretation, nor make the best sense. I think that Paul contrasts Jesus' ascension with his time here on earth. Um, on the cross, Jesus said, it's finished. His suffering was over. There was no additional payment needed for salvation. So I think it's a, what Paul's doing, he's talking about his ascension and then him coming back to earth. And then, um, what gifts did he give? As we are getting close to the end here. Uh, and he gave what? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Here's why. To equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So, equip, build up. If we're tearing down and not building up, we're doing something wrong. Paul lists the leadership gifts in the body of Christ here as apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, and I'm going to try to go through that real quick. Apostle simply means one sent forth with authority. One who speaks in the name of the Lord. Now, this is, I've titled this little part, Food for Thought. Um, Paul makes an important statement in Ephesians 2, which we've covered already. He says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Great, clear. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Notice that Paul didn't say that the foundation was built on pastors, teachers, and evangelists. It was built on the apostles and the prophets. So 
Really, the foundation has been laid. We're not changing the foundation. You don't pour a foundation, you build on it, but the foundation, you know, you don't, um, you don't, you don't redo that. The foundation has been laid. Now, in the first century, it was really critical. There were still a lot of questions. The canon had not been put together, and apostles played a huge, a huge role in, uh, in, in the foundation of what we stand here today there was no book of Ephesians. It was brought to us, right? So um, we're, we're on that. Now, I'm going to read this, and I think it is a good little read. It's only a paragraph. But it might explain a little bit more maybe where I'm coming from because I'm not saying by no means that there's no apostles today. I'm not saying that or prophets. Trust me. One of the major questions surrounding the gift of an apostle is its continuance. Uh, are there still apostles functioning in the church today? Do people still hold this particular office or have this gift? So there's a little bit of separation between office and gift. Um, the apostles having a limited ministry during the early years of the church, hence there are no apostles today. Another perspective believes this was to be a continuing gift until the Lord returns. Therefore, people today do have the gift of an apostle, though there is not the office of apostle. Some might explain it that way. Uh, in the same sense as in Jesus' day, those who claim that there are still apostles today usually argue one of two ways. There is a distinction made between the office of apostle, uh, which they're saying is no longer with us, or the spiritual gift of an apostle, which is still given. Some attempt to define the gift of an apostle as a missionary, right? A church planner. And while these men and women do have the same authority as the apostles in Jesus' day, they have been uniquely gifted like the first apostles to plant churches and teach new believers. I just put that in there because, you know, I like the picture. I like to see the picture. And then, you know what it does do? It makes you want to study more. Makes you want to grow more. Prophets. Prophecy means to speak forth. There's a lot I could say about prophecy, but the main thing is it has to line up with God's word. Whenever you would get a word from someone, it better line up with God's word. And prophecy is given for the building up, for consolation, and for encouragement. 1 Corinthians 14 says, But he who prophesies, this is New Testament, see? But he who prophesies speaks to men for their edification, for encouragement, and for comfort. That's what prophecy is for. Listen, I've had some bad prophecies. I've had some, spot, some prophecies that spoke death to me, that they weren't true, in front of a church. And I was like, oh, man, it's just not true. Like, it's just not true. And Teresa's going like, yeah, it ain't true. You know, see what I mean? So it's for the building up and it's for the edification of the church. First um, Thessalonians says this, do not treat prophecies with contempt. I'm glad that's in there because I think I could probably do that. And this is where maturity comes into the body of the Christ, guys, right? Where you don't just go, oh, that's bad. This stream's bad or that's bad. No, you don't, you don't do that. You do not treat prophecies with, con with contempt, but test all things and hold fast to what is good. That's, that's maturity. Evangelist is a person both burdened and gifted to reach the lost with the message of salvation. I've touched on that. It rolls off their tongue. 
They didn't have to sit there and go, okay, what Bible verse do I need to quote? It just pours. They have a gift of evangelism, and, and it's like breathing. And I, again, I think that there's different times in your life where you need it. I remember in Romania, sometimes I'd be out, you know, preaching and handing out these thousands of tracts to people. I would do it by the train station where the subways would go all over the country. I'm thinking if I go there, I can get God's word throughout the country. And sometimes I'd stand there and people would be so mean. They'd hit you or spit at you or choke you, kick you. Like, I've had a lot of things happen. And, but I can remember those times just sharing and sharing the love of God's word. You know what I would say during that time? I'd go, guys, is that love? You know why I would say that? Because there were times that I was out there and they were abusing me. And I was mad at them. Those stupid people, they don't know anything. They don't know the scripture. They don't even know their own religion. They don't even understand the Orthodox religion. Hey, and you know what? The Holy Spirit's like, your words will be worthless if it's not done in love. Your words, they'll fall. You'll do more damage, Roger, than speaking God's word in anger and in frustration if it's not done in love, because I love my creation. I love people. And I want them to feel that love. So I learned a lot. I tell people all the time, I, it was a big cross I carried. I tell people all the time, the cross changed me more than I think I changed people. It changed me. Because when you're spit at, when you're hated, when people are mean to you, when they don't agree with you, and you think that you're right, it just t- tells a lot about yourself. And that's what God's word does. Um, So, and you do, by the way, have a responsibility for evangelism, whether you got the gift or not. Be prepared in 1 Peter to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. You would better at least be able to tell people, I have a hope. I was lost. I was was condemned. (laughs) Jesus came Okay, showed himself to me, and I've, I want to follow him with all of my heart and soul and mind and strength. He's changed my life. My marriage has been restored. I mean, like, there's so much that's going on, and I'm so happy because of what Christ did for me. You're just sharing the hope. Everybody needs to do that. And then it says here, so, uh, pastor teacher in the Greek, uh, I mean, I'm sure I could exegesis that a little bit better, but it kind of describes in the Greek it being one office, because I'm kind of teaching here too, right, and I'm preaching. So it's kind of like one office with two descriptive titles. Pastoring the local church entails teaching, building up the saints, encouraging and counseling with the word. You know, there a lot of pastors will tell you, counsel from the stage. Counsel from the stage. Um, and then it says, to equip, why? why are we doing all this? Okay, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. That's why. Our role is to equip you for the work of the ministry. Um, and that's why, again, why it's in our purpose statement. Be firm in your faith. I tell people that, <laughs> growth track, which will be today, they'll probably hear it, so if you come. Be firm in faith. I want for you the very thing I want for my life when I come through those doors. To be firm in faith. There's n- the faith. There's nothing that can come against you where you're going to deny God and you're going to always trust in his sovereignty and his goodness. To fulfill the call of God, that's what I've been preaching on this whole time in Ephesians 4, that you have a calling to fulfill your call. And to do what? To finish well. Like, don't flame out. Don't flame out. Gave it all, 
to God in my 20s, really served him in my 30s, made it to my 40s. You know how many older people I see in their 50s and 60s and 70s cash it in? Would they, they cash it in. Like, ah, you know, I've been there and that. The church hurt me and, you know, Christians, they're just this. And the world's telling me this and, you know, just whatever. I don't really need the body of Christ. I mean, why go to church? They just want your money anyway. And, you know, always an excuse, always something. Never loving the body of Christ. And they just, they, they, you turn boring. Just learn and grow. Attend a Bible class. You know, like we're offering, don't we have some, G, attend a G group with the, with the Bible study. Mark has a great one. Like there's just so, so, so rich. Like we learn and we grow uh, until, verse 13, I'm almost done. Brian, why don't you come up? Wait, yeah, come up. Yeah, come up. I got, I got just a little bit, guys. Hang in with me. Because I got three more verses. Until we all attain into the unity of the faith, right? With the knowledge of the Son of God to be mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And this shows us that the result or the blessing is unity, maturity, and knowledge. In other words, when we do all that, we grow in maturity, we grow in unity, we grow in knowledge, and we're working together, and we're all using our gifts. I'm, I'm using a little bit of your salt. You got a little bit of my pepper. What else did I put in there? You know, you know just like we're, it's luscious. It's luscious when the body of Christ works together. It's, it's really wonderful. Uh, so that we will no longer be, get this, no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes. There's a strengthening of the body as we use our gifts to do the work of the ministry. We're not going to be tossed to and fro. When that diabolical statement comes to you that the world's trying to tell you, whatever it is, you're going to go, okay, but it doesn't line up with God's word. There's a unity in that. And, and you know what you also do in that unity? You have each other's backs. You have each other's back. You listen to, you know, for the word of God um, is profitable for, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, right? That's God's word. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That's the last verse. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who, had, who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
That's a healthy church. So one through three, we learned about our wealth. Sign me up. And now Paul's saying, let's be faithful in the functions and the duties. Let's do the work. So I'm just to end in prayer before Brian, you sing out. Lord, I just thank you for your word, Lord. And, and Lord, I, I repent for all the areas where I don't measure up myself, Lord. And, and Lord, we just want to be in unity and to serve you, to love our brothers and sisters, to love mankind, to be a witness, to operate in the gifts that you've given us, Lord. Forgive us when we've snubbed our nose at the beautiful gifts you've given us. We've been more concerned about the things of this life. Help us, Lord, to passionately um, serve you until the end. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for hanging out with us at Generation. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Generation Pensacola or go to the website at generationpensacola.com and from wherever you download your podcasts. If today's teaching impacted you, we'd love to hear about it. So please drop us a note.